Greetings friends, this is Will Nicholas and this is the Deep Faith Nine podcast exploring faith and fiction. Hello friends, this is Will Nicholas, your Odd Rev, and this is the Deep Faith Nine podcast. And we are once again engaging in our podcast for this week. And we are going to be looking at the Season 2 episode, Shadow Play, uh, which is the 16th episode in the season. And the storyline goes a bit like this. Uh, Odo and Dax have taken a runabout to investigate a particle field in the Gamma Quadrant, and Odo is there to, and hope to find out more about his origins. Dax is surprised to find an extremely rare Omicron particles. On the surface of the planet, they then try to investigate the device releasing the particles, but get arrested by a protector, Cloyus, uh, uh, of the Yaduran colony. Um, he suspects... Odo and Dax have something to do with the sudden disappearance of 22 people and they are able to convince him of their innocence and offer to help him in an investigation. While Odo is gone from the station, Kira keeps a close eye on the activities of Quark, uh, much to his dismay, and then Vedic Burial unexpectedly visits the station and wants to spend time with her. Meanwhile, Cisco tries to convince Jake to take up a job in engineering to prepare him for Starfleet Academy, and he is convinced that Jake will want to go there. Joining me to discuss this episode today, I have uh, my good friend Philip Menzies, uh, who uh, has studied uh, in the area of leisure man management uh, and works in a disability sector, but more than that, uh, has been uh, my uh, my one of my favorite gaming and uh, tabletop board game companions uh, for for many years um, we now live far apart um, but have still been able to make time to uh, play games together uh, over the distance Philip welcome to the podcast hi will thanks very much for having me so uh, as I usually do for um, uh, the podcast uh, with a, a new guest uh, I'm going to ask a couple of icebreak questions are you ready I am. Great. When did you first start watching Deep Space Nine? Well, I first started watching Deep Space Nine when it first aired on Australian television. All uh, back the way in back. Um, yeah. yeah, 1994. It was uh, it was first broadcast, um, and then I followed it through all seven seasons at, as it aired at uh, at that time. And uh, it, do you have a favourite character from Deep Space Nine? I do, and it's a bit out of out of the out of left field. Um, as I was listening to your podcast and listening to everyone, I was sort of formed this opinion that it has to be Rom. Uh, um, I like Rom. And it wasn't until only a few episodes ago when you uh, and I was thinking to myself, why is Rom my favourite character? 
uh, it wasn't until a few episodes ago that you sort of uh, drew, drew out a little bit more about um, Rom's character development over the series. Um, and when you talked about it, I thought that's why. That's why he he sort of he he has a really really good um, character arc. Um, become becomes a great Nagus in the end. Um, yeah, some really really good things happen for Rom throughout the throughout the whole series. That's right. He has a really profound impact on the whole of Ferengi society, uh, and and really assists them to to I guess reflect on who they are as a people. Uh, and that's that's quite an interesting character um, to follow. We haven't seen a lot of Rom so far, um, but um, mm. and it's almost uncertain at this point whether or not they were going to make much of him. Um, but he certainly does become a very main character later on in the in the um, in the series, more mm. than the comic relief um, brother of Quark that he is at the moment. Yes, yeah, that's right. That's a little bit like how Deep Space Nine does it. They never know what they're going to do with 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 a uh, character. Um, ju- just before we begin on the episode, I just want to pick you up on um, something that you have said in previous episodes, and that about um, Deep Space Nine uh, being the first um, sci-fi series with a long-running story arc. I just have to disagree with you there, Will. Well, that's, that's um, good. I love a good disagreement. Um, bring it on. What have you got? Um, well, at the same time, there was another sci-fi show called Babylon 5. This is the story of the last of the Babylon stations. The year is 2258. The name of the place is Babylon 5. And I remember watching the two at the same time. Babylon 5 was harder to get into because it was a completely new universe. Um, But Babylon 5 had a five-year story arc. and uh, it did really interesting things. The the developer of the series knew pretty much where he was going from the beginning, and uh, and he did a lot of foreshadowing um, du- during the series, leading up to really significant um, directions for the story. Um, and that's that's actually and Star Trek Deep Space Nine seemed to be seemed to take a lot longer to get their story arc up and going. Um, and what I, and what I'm actually interested in uh, in my viewing this time through a deep space and I haven't watched it since uh, si- since it first aired on TV is uh, yeah to get an indication of what their what their planning was what what the producers of the story knew and how they how they told the audience how much foreshadowing is there within the series so I'm very keen to pick up sorts of threads as as we go through. Yeah, yeah, I I, uh, I agree with you. I think uh, I really, really loved Babylon Five um, and really enjoyed um, the way that the, and and one of the things that I think Babylon Five does that I haven't seen anywhere else is that they they actually filmed um, some of those foreshadowing scenes and then included those scenes in the later episodes. So they they had in mind not just you know a vague idea of how things would go but the specific dialogue and text of of how that foreshadowing would come through um mm, yeah mm. and it's and a, sometimes they sometimes they didn't get it right sometimes when when you can't predict how a tv show is going to develop and your one of your principal actors leaves the show um that that um scene that you've filmed for the future doesn't pan out the same way because one of the actors is gone that's right. Yeah, um, and and they've got to make those changes. Yeah, that that have that have really 
you know, beyond the story, but actually they need to recast. Mm, mm. I'm really interested in that sort of bigger, bigger meta story. Um, and I encourage you, Will, to look further than Deep Space Nine and actually look at um, The Next Generation. I've actually been following through season five and six um, leading into uh, the launch of Deep Space Nine. And there's some really good, they really, The Next Generation really set up um the introduction of the cardassians and bajor um and with the they, they had a bajoran character on the enterprise uh, Ro 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 yep. yeah um and yeah they did a lot of work in leading in and there are actually some crossover episodes you might be interested in looking at um birthright sometime which has uh dr bashir in it dr julian bashir chief medical officer deep space nine and you are commander data Commander Data. The synthetic life form. Yes. It's an honor to meet you, sir. I've heard so much about you. Um, yep. And, of course, um, Voyager does, uh, does launch from Deep Space, Deep Space Nine. We were warned about the Ferengi at the Academy. Warned about Ferengi, were you? That's right. Slurs about my people at Starfleet Academy. What I meant was... Here I, I am trying to be a cordial host. Knowing how much a young officer's parents would appreciate a token of his love on the eve of a dangerous mission, and what do I get from my trouble? Scurrilous insults. Well, somebody's going to hear about this. What's your name, son? My name? You have one, I presume? Kim, Harry Kim. One of the things that um, I am looking at doing next year uh, with Lindsay Cullen, who's been on the show uh, now a couple of times, on the podcast a couple of times, uh, is to, to launch a podcast about Voyager. And our plan is to actually launch that in sync with Voyager's first episode uh, mm, alongside mm. Deep Space Nine. So the two will run next to each other. And um, I, uh, I didn't think of the idea of um, paralleling with next-gen episodes until um, we actually um, had already crossed over into some of those next-generation episodes um, afterwards. Mm. But um, certainly it's been useful for me to look at some of the, the, the parallel spreadsheets that actually show the episodes of next-generation uh, Deep Space Nine and Voyager running next to each other. Uh, and it's very the, the interesting launching point um, in Next Generation is actually the uh, the double episode Chain of Command yes. where Captain Picard is uh, abducted by the Cardassians and tortured. Straight after that you get Emissary and it's like, whoa, these Cardassians are pretty um, hardcore and, and, and a potential threat to, to the Federation. Yeah, yep, yep. And and I think that's where that's was Roddenberry's dream of creating a universe um really starts to to shine. Like there's the the idea that that I guess Tolkien had and 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 you and I both had lots of conversations about Tolkien's um uh creations um to to not create just a story in a linear fashion but to actually generate a universe in which mm. um people are off doing their own things and today's episode really covers that it's a complex abc story um so we've got multiple characters all coexisting in the same time frame doing 
very different things that in some ways are actually all interrelated with each other, but but not in terms of their their relationships. So let's have a little bit of a chat about the episode. Um, what are the what are the big themes that actually jump out for you in this episode shadow play that we've we're talking about today? It took me a while to actually fully fully flesh out the title and realize that. Uh, this title is a really good title. It's an excellent title because um, it encompasses all, all three storylines have some aspect of there being shadows, there, there, um, there, there are things being concealed um, in all three storylines. So it was really, really good to see, to see how the writer had developed this story um, and and woven and and had not not just totally totally separate stories that were unrelated to each other. They they are unrelated to each other, but thematically they fit perfectly into into the one episode. Um, yeah, there, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. There there, there are some uh, specific things I re I really did like. Um, uh, the Jake's Jake's storyline. I sort of. Um, uh, resonated with some things in there about um, about children sharing things with their with with with, with their parents, um, and and I've I myself have found that um, my parents are now in their eighties, and um, it's uh, it's actually only in the last few recent years that we've been able to sort of talk a bit more more openly and share about some of the things that had happened. Uh, during my formative years, and uh, and re really, really sort of talk about them open freely, um, which is which is what Jake and his father seem to do uh, really, yeah. really well in this episode. Yeah, Ben, Cisco, and Jake really have a very close relationship. Um, I mean, as a single father, he's had to work out how to how to to manage his career and actually um, also keep in touch with Jake. Um, and um, and there's a real crunch in this one where um, it just seems logical to Ben um, Cisco that Jake will will grow up and join Starfleet and become a Starfleet officer. Um, but uh, mm. Jake is now beginning to question that and actually ask a question about potentially going in a different direction. This is the beginning of, I guess, that story arc of coming of age for Jake, who we see go from a, a small boy to become a man during the seven years of Deep Space Nine. Mm, mm, that's right. I also see this a way in uh, of how Deep Space Nine is setting themselves apart from the next generation. Um, the next generation had a child character, Wesley Crusher, but he went on to follow in the footsteps of everyone on board the Enterprise. Uh, even, I mean, he did have a few teething problems, but he went to Starfleet Academy. He was going to join Starfleet. Like his destiny was was written out for him. This is a really refreshing departure from that, um, and I think that's one thing that Deep Space Nine was trying to do in these early years. They wanted to make themselves quite different to the next generation. And I wonder whether or not that's um, because um, they're looking for a greater level of honesty and authenticity between Jake and Ben in this, whereas there, there really wasn't that opportunity for Wesley Crusher to voice his opinion. In the end, Wesley mm. didn't end up um, finishing his, his Starfleet career. He, he, uh, he ended up you know, going adventurously gallivanting across the dimensions with the Traveller, um, whatever that means. Yes. Um, 
And interestingly enough, in the neutral zone um, between Cardassia um, and the Federation um, on one of the, the planets, the disputed planets in that treaty. So so once again, mm. in, in the same area of this universe that we find ourselves in now. That's um, that's that's fascinating, um, and um, I, I like I love the authenticity that actually occurs between Ben and Jake as they try to wrestle through these problems. Yeah, I could I couldn't help feel though that um, if if this had been produced in a in a TV show today, there would be a lot more dysfunction in there. Yeah, and there would be there. The, uh, I think television is quite different, and this the, this storyline to me was almost like a textbook case um not everyone is lucky enough to have um supportive a supportive parent uh, in the in the way that ben is um and also miles does a does a great mentor job um yep. so so in a way i sort of thought this episode was a what was a blueprint for how to do this situation correctly if it everything um, works perfectly yeah that's right it worked a little bit too perfectly for me <laughs> yeah um, but but the, the it re, it really got the point across well, and if you and if and if you want a blueprint for for how to do this and how to have a mentor and and how to have respectful conversations, then this this is the blueprint for it. Yeah, as the C story on this particular one too, it really didn't have the ability to become any more complex than it was. Um, so That's we right. kind of catch it at the beginning, glimpse it in the middle, and then see it at the end. But but I guess its link with shadow play is that that um, that Jake is really looking to find out who he really is and to establish what's real about him and what needs to be challenged. Mm, mm, that's right. That's right. So you want to have a look at the B story? Oh, let's let's go through it backwards. We'll we'll look at the B story next, which is this um this uh, uh I guess uh, romantic diversion set up by Quark in order to um have space to do nefarious dealings where Kira can't see him. Quark, get this into that little twisted brain of yours. If you thought you were going to get away with anything while Odo's gone, think again. I'm watching you. Yes, yeah. I think I, I think I enjoyed this this part this storyline bet the the best out of all three. Um, there was uh, th there was mystery here. There was a mystery, and you didn't realise at the beginning that there was a mystery that 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 had to be solved. There it was just slowly um, was slowly spun out um, until you realise that Kira is getting played here. Um, I, ca I came away from it, and 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 I'm a very visual person. So the, the so the visuals you get for this particular storyline, I just sort of walked away and thought, oh, this was a way of progressing Kira and Beryl's uh, relationship. Um, they have their first kiss. They 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 share a lot of deep things, um, and and had to sort of do a double take and come back and say, no, that it it did that very well, but that wasn't the point of this story. <laughs> It was a shadow play. Um, it was exactly, exactly. It was Kira was getting played um, by by Quark, and I found it really interesting that the that the two characters who had the most amount of influence in the events that happened were Quark's cousin Kono, who you never, who never, who never uh, appeared in in the show at all, um, and also. Uh, Prilo Rip, 
um, who was who was at the who who was one of the clerics at the Bajoran Temple um, on Deep Space Nine, and once again he yeah, and he was the person who invited Burial to the station at at Quark's in, insistence. Um, and I found that really interesting that these two people who were really in a way the movers and the shakers um, or the or very very significant piece of the puzzle were always in the shadows and yeah. you never actually saw them and they never appear in any episode. It's really clever um, to be able to have the key players off stage so you've got um, all of the main characters either talking to or about them, uh, so they hold the gravity. But we don't actually ever see them. We only ever see what 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 what's what's moving because of them. I thought there was there were some there were some things to sort things to sort of come out come out of this this particular story in that um, Prila Ritt really got himself into a compromising position um mm. by having gambling debts to quark um he he really quark had leverage over him and um and i was i was just sort of reminded that uh all all of us no matter what what our position really need to have um um visibility in what in what we do and accountability in what we do um and and really not allow ourselves to get into Yep. into potentially compromising situations particularly for the clergy yeah that's right um and, and um it's an interesting um critique there of 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 i guess human nature but then also placing that human nature in in the clergy position as well because i mean the, how we deal with with power and and vice and and habit actually is a is a human condition it affects everybody the same mm mm there is one aspect of that story that might have passed a lot of people by, and that was um, Dr. Bashir's role in the in in the whole thing. Yes, um, and I, I I can explain it either two ways. He was only in the one scene, and that was when he was asked by Kira to 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 uh, carry out some surveillance on on Quark. Um, I can, can assume, looking looking at it from outside, I can say, well, they needed to give all the principal actors at least a small role to carry out in every episode or i can look at it the other way and say wow julian failed he didn't yeah. turn up anything didn't turn up um, anything. i think there I was also some some foreshadowing in there as well like so they're trying to build this relationship between julian and and garrick they've actually had a couple of goes at it mm. now in full episodes but it, it i think they're also trying to keep it bubbling in the background to say that he's uh he's 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 having these regular uh catch-ups with the uh the enigmatic cardassian who's on the station yes it is a very effective way of of reminding viewers of other other parts of the story but i'm just in light of um julian's future um, in the series and becoming almost a superhuman, um, it was nice to see a little failure. Yeah. Although it wasn't wasn't what wasn't wasn't overt, um, that, that I'd like to interpret it that way. Yeah, yeah, certainly he um, he he's he he seems to be a, a terrible spy. Um, he gets better, but he's uh, he mm. he's got he's got no poker face at all um, when it comes to these kinds of things. Well, one of my favourite parts of that storyline is the punchline for it, uh, and that's when Kira gets to say, I just wanted to thank you. I found him very... diverting. 
I thought that was quite a good little play on words in the midst of that. Yes, and, and Quark's reply. Not diverting enough. So then we've got uh, the A storyline, the one um, that is most obvious, really, is, is this storyline that actually really takes into account um, the big question that Voyager continues to ask. Um, uh, uh, what's real and what's not real? And this even gets asked in, in other sci-fi places like, um, like uh, Red Dwarf, um, and, um, mm. and, and really looks at the idea of what does it mean for us to be real? Can a community of holograms um, that has been in play for, for decades be a real place? And, and, and that's, a, that's a fascinating conversation to have. Mm, mm, it is, it is. It's really interesting to start to think about. This, and this is something that Star Trek has has dealt with uh, many times. They've dealt, they dealt with it in a big way with uh, Data um, and, and coming to terms with, well, he's a machine. What does that mean about his his self-awareness and uh and equality compared to other other humans um and and other sentient life and continually they come back to the come come back to well if 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 a life form is sentient if it has an understanding of itself no matter what that is then it needs to have need to have the rights um of any other species um, yeah. It wasn't yep. just with data. It was they, they. There was an episode early in Next Generation where there was a crystalline life form that was yep. going to be wiped out by a terraforming, um, by the Federation terraforming a planet. And there was a an episode, the quality of life, where there were small machines invented by scientists as a tool, yeah, that had the capacity to learn. And in the end, they were accepted as being a legitimate life form. So it is. It is a common. It is a. And there was there was the episode with um with Moriarty on the um on the on the holodeck yes. who became yeah. self-aware. And that, and that speaks to the heart of the intention I think of the prime directive which is one of the central core facets of the Star Trek universe the idea that that um you know we're to we're to respect and honor new life wherever we find it um and that we're to think very carefully about um how we affect that new life um and and what it's I guess what its rights are, what what, what where, wherever it may show up. Mm, 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 that's right, and it, it extends beyond that. It's to, like it's to do it's to do with all life and respecting all life, um, yeah. and that and trekking's very very sort of in, environmental, um, and and it, in a way it is it is moralistic, um, but but it, but it but it has a very very liberal um, point of view. Um, per, per, per particularly around yep rights and uh, and 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 equality. What's really interesting is I, I I can't remember the name of it now, but it escapes me. But there is a condition um, a condition of the mind where a person um, believes they might be the only person who exists in the universe, and that everybody else is there. It's a bit um, like uh, like the Truman Show. Um, mm. But in this case, um, the the main character uh, who's in the space, uh, Rurigan. Yeah, um, Rurigan. Yeah, Rurigan. He's the grandfather of of the of the the small child. Um, he's played by uh, Ken Toby, uh, and Ken Toby is a bit of a grandfather of science fiction, um, having starred in movies like The Thing and It Came from Beneath the Sea. So. It's kind of interesting mm. that they've included, uh, and and it, um, 
in some of the story notes that I've read, the cast were actually in awe to be on the set with somebody who who had actually had such a, a rich and and long history with um, with character role acting in science fiction. So there's a bit of a hat tip to him there. Um, mm. But he he actually has the situation where he's the only real person if we're using that word real in terms of flesh and blood, um, in the whole community. That's right. And then, and then the question starts to form, well, is this then all for his benefit? Yep. And um, he's, he's, he's now an old man and he doesn't have a great life expectancy and uh, the, 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 the uh, hologrammatic, uh, generator is going to continue well well after he now that now that Dax has fixed, fixed it, it yep. it's it's going to continue well after he's passed away and so what does that mean for those people there who who no longer have a person who is who is effectively an outsider but I think that I think the good the the good thing to recognise is that um, is that Rurigan didn't consider himself to be an outsider yeah. he 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 came to the realization that that with 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 odo and dax's help of course that that the these people like he didn't create his granddaughter yep. it was the it was the programming that that created that uh that that unique person in the same way that um that that uh, that that a, the offspring is produced from from the genes of of their parents. Yeah, that's um, right. So genes are like programming so yeah. in that regard. Yeah. It's, yeah. So so I was thinking to myself, like, what well, what happens when when he passes away, and then you get into the realm of well, that they, they live, they experience things. Um, they may be just. Um, uh, a computer program whirling around inside of that inside of that device in the middle of the village, but when it comes down to it, they they are living um, they 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 are living their lives and they and they're getting satisfaction and they're giving joy to other people and that's really what life is about. Yeah, no, that's right. Uh, it's, uh, so this missing persons CSI type investigation that Odo has to undertake really then becomes oh, a, a technological discussion, doesn't it? Well, Odo was a bit of a plod there for a while. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a very sort of pedestrian um, um, in investigation, um, but I'm really glad that it moved away from there because really, what this story was about it was it was a character piece. Yeah. Um, between Odo and the granddaughter Taya. Yes. And. And it wasn't until in I went through the the notes on Memory Alpha as well, and uh, talking about how how this episode came about. It wasn't until it and it went through a few forms before it got to this final form. But one thing the original story lacked was was the this relationship, and that's really that's really what centres this entire episode in the relationship between that that Odo develops between himself and Taya. And this There's is a new really... thing for Odo, isn't it? I mean, we, ha we haven't really seen him relate in this way. He's sort of been gruff, like he chases the boys off the promenade and he's, you know... But this is actually a, a, a softness we're actually seeing from him for the first time. It is, it is. And it was sort of a sadness too. I mean, I was... Um, I'll, uh, I've, I took great note of the music in this episode as well. Music is a, is a really, really important thing um, for me when I'm, when I'm watching TV and movies. 
um, and I like I love to listen to movie soundtracks and to understand the story that the that the music is telling us. Um, and the music in this episode is really really um, expressive. Um, I'm I'm going to contribute a, um, a a little piece of music from from this episode towards the end. But um, re- really, what it what it gets across is um, the fact that they have feelings towards each other. Um, they've developed a friendship. Odo is very standoffish, um, and he refuses to show off his his um, his changeling abilities in the beginning. And and I think that that carries on from the episode that that, that we had a few back with his uh, with his uh, the, the the scientist father figure yeah, in yep. in his, Dr. Mora. in his life. That's right, and he was just sort of a, a curiosity. Um, so. Odo's learnt that he's not going to do that just for a show. That's not the way to get get attention. But at the end of the episode, the really touching thing was he does change his shape for yeah. Taya because he's developed that relationship and he's he's doing it to bring joy to someone that that he loves. I really like the inclusion too of her story about the shapeshifter. Um, and how the shapeshifter was tricked into turning themselves into a, a loaf of bread and got gobbled up, um, and you know, like this, this that's a that's that's a story that exists in a lot of different places about a genie or a lot, you know, being tricked into using power to actually create vulnerability. Um, but what we actually yes. see here is the reverse happening, where Odo is actually able to um, learn vulnerability in order to actually really understand power, which was actually quite an interesting inversion. Mm. Yes, I, I looked at that as being a, um, a little bit of foreshadowing um, because um, quite often these sorts of fables, like we have Aesop's fables, we have all our grim stories, uh, grim fairy tales. At the centre of all of them, there's a kernel of truth there somewhere. Yeah. And I think what what I think this is a bit of foreshadowing on the part of the Deep Space Nine uh, creators to say that yep this is just a fable about it about a changeling um but really there are changelings out there i mean we know because we because odo's there but yep. it's telling about a about a, a, a deeper truth there and the, that kind the, of goes the, the, from a from a subtle approach to a really overt approach when they actually foreshadow the dominion so the reason why um rugen is there rugen is there is because the dominion took over where he was from and he said, yes. I don't like the way they're doing things. And so he moved himself to this new place. So we've got a further foreshadowing of the Dominion as being an oppressive um, uh, regime that's controlling and unhelpful. Uh, and as you said, at the same time, a foreshadowing that there are others like Odo, but not connecting them together yet, but letting them just sit next to each other um, mm. so that afterwards we can go, aha, but at the time we don't connect those dots. Yes, yeah. Odo and uh, Dax gave each other a knowing glance when when Rurigan did did mention the Dominion. Um, but 
other than that, we really don't know anything about, about the Dominion. It's just a name at this point of time. And talking about that sort of longer-running storyline, these are the sorts of things that I'm looking for in my, in my viewing uh, to see sort of what foreshadowing is there for, for the future story. And even in this one, which is, which is a clear reference to things that are going to happen in future seasons, there's no details about what the dominion is it's a repressive it's a repressive regime yes but what um if yep but, th but that's all all that we're given i'm not sure they know yet um i'm not like we don't see the Jem'Hadar uh or the vorta until the end of this season and even then mm. there's not a strong connection um to well there's no connection to the changelings at that point yes yeah 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 that's right that's right um so you've yeah, got a, but, some but, music for us. You wanted to um, to do a bit of a musical comparison. Was that that with you got a piece that we'll play? So I'll do, I'll I'll just set it up. I'll do I'll just play the piece from from the from the show. I li listened to it and musically for me, I was uh, in what in watching watching uh, TV from this particular era. You sort of get a sense of what music does, and a lot of it is just in the background. Whereas I'm really looking for for um, a clear melody, a clear theme, which which clearly states that 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 the action is relating to this particular this particular person or this particular place or this particular idea. And that's what the music is throughout this episode. You'll find that there are often um, in, in 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 all of these Next Generation and Deep Space Nine episode. There's quite a bit of silence sometimes, and then the music will just come in slowly, and then it will swell towards the ad break. Yep. And so and so often often the music is just a transition from one scene to to another scene or another scene, or it's just in the background and it, and and it's giving a particular feeling to it to it but when i actually sat down and i analyzed um right at the very end to me musically the uh the climax of the story was when odo transforms yep and 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 i took note of that time and thought oh yeah the music's doing something really really um interesting at that point but i took it back a bit um to when um the music changes specifically when when taya and um and odo are having their final goodbye um but it's not until she actually starts to express her feelings that the music introduces a flute um that's that's very sad and it's and it's uh indicating that 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 they are saying goodbye um also during that you'll hear two different voices there's a flute representing taya and there's a cello representing uh odo and giving odo a much deeper musical voice and then it gets to odo's transformation and the music changes significantly at that point there um and then it sort of wraps up and then it then it transitions into uh traditional deep space nine music for when they're in the runabout on on the way back so so yeah i'll play that and you can and and i'll sort of talk you through those those bits uh, through the music so the flute which plays the melody represents Taya and the cello which comes in later represents Odo. Here's where the cello comes in. 
two of them move away from each other. Odo turns and calls to Taya. Now this is Odo's transformation. Taya laughs. Odo retakes his form and he looks very pleased with himself. Odo and Dax beam up. The runabout heads back to DS9. Well, that's been really good, Philip. It's been great to talk to you about um, the the different themes in shadow uh, shadow play, um, and also to have a bit of a look at the music, which is not something we often do. Um, I um, I'm very excited that you've actually you've offered to create a, a musical composition for the intro to Deep Faith Nine for season three. Um, is that, that's all still going well? Yes, yes, it is. I'm practicing furiously. You know, it's uh, there. There are a lot of accomplished musicians out there, but for us, less accomplished musicians, uh, we have to work really, really hard to uh, to get something uh, at at uh, really good quality with no mistakes there. So, yeah. so I'm so I'm and busy. I'm busy practicing that, and I'll and hopefully I'll have that uh, ready for season three. And you're composing for some Lord of the Rings, um, Tolkien-esque soundtracks as well? Um, on YouTube, I have, people can find me on YouTube. I have my own channel, Philip Menzies, that's Philip with two L's. Um, yes, the Silmarillion Film Project is a uh, project uh, done by the uh, Tolkien professor. Um, and it's a uh, theoretical adaptation of uh, the Silmarillion, which oh. is, and, and after after all the Tolkien movies that have been out, everyone says, when are they going to do the Silmarillion? Well, they're not, because they don't have the rights to it. But they can talk about it, and we can do things that don't breach copyright, like write music, original music. I think it would be a confusing film. Uh, you and I are both big fans of the uh, the Dune series and have had lots of time playing the Dune board games together. Uh, and uh, there have been several attempts uh, at creating a good Dune film, but the complexity of the storyline has left that um, a little sad sometimes. Yes, it has. It has. It's, and it's, a, it's a little bit like what I was talking about with Babylon 5 before. Um, for for a brand new universe, you have to do a little, a, quite a lot of scene setting. Um, like, and and Dune is an entirely new universe, um, and to understand um, exactly how this universe operates is not is a difficult thing to get your head around. And one of the things that the 1984 um, movie really really fell down on was was the weaponry and i don't don't think they could get their heads around that in a futuristic world there would be so much hand-to-hand -hand combat yeah um, that's right. and there are really good reasons for that happening but the film producers couldn't quite could did probably didn't think that the audience could get their head around that. we're just so used to stormtroopers shooting and missing all of the time uh, although exactly. we did have uh, Patrick Stewart in that version, um, and um, and a fine performance uh, of of acting from Sting, who demonstrates what a great musical uh, musician he is um, in his acting style. There, <laughs> he, 
he he definitely does. Um, I I heard an interview with Sting um, years later where he freely admitted that he hadn't the slightest idea of what was going on in June. I've, he just I've, sort of he. I've never <laughs> seen metallic speedos before, and you? he <laughs> delivered his lines. Those metallic speedos were a sight to see, weren't they? No, a sight not to see. <laughs> um, in the new version, I don't know if you've seen the the, the new release uh, preview for the. They're going to try Dune again. Um, Jason Momoa is going to be playing the role of Duncan Idaho. Duncan Idaho, yeah. Uh, tragic figure, tragic figure, heroic but tragic figure. Um, and the role of Gurney Halleck is actually being played by um, Josh Brolin. Oh, that's right. Our uh, our uh, um, big Thanos. villain from um, yeah Thanos from Avengers. Yeah, okay. So it looks like a good cast. Hopefully, we might see something um, something come from this time. Yes, yes. But I think also we should be prepared for two movies. One thing oh. they're not being very clear about, and I have seen in an interview that it is the first of two planned movies. Well, there certainly are some good breaks in there. So, they, But before we turn this into a podcast about Dune, uh, <laughs> I should probably wrap up. Um, and um, I'll thank you once again for joining me. I look forward in a couple of weeks uh, you're going to rejoin me for uh, the episode Blood Oath, uh, which, will, which will span the distance between um, old original Star Trek and uh, this next generations of, of series. Mm. Kapla. Kapla.